morning. It is great to be with you all. I will admit that this morning uh, our topic is one that is deeply important to me because I became one of those statistics that every Christian parent doesn't like to have when their kids go off to college. Let me tell you about when I stopped going to church. There's the big secret of the pastor. He stopped going to church at one time. Let me tell you why. I had, uh, I had gone to college for my first year, and I was involved with a local church, and I was on the worship team, and I was leading a Bible study, and I was active with Campus Crusade on the campus, and I was, I was doing it. And then I went on a three-month mission trip during the summer, okay? It sounds like that shouldn't happen if I'm about to leave the church, right? And so I asked for support from this church that I was at, and, and, they, and they supported me, and I, and I come back. It's my first Sunday back at church. I've been gone for, for several months, and I'm excited for people to, to, to you know, say, oh, Brian, it's so good to see you again. Man, look at how long your hair is, because I was growing my hair out at the time, and, uh, and I didn't get that. In fact, no one even remembered who I was, except for the pastor. And he came up to me that first Sunday, and he said, hey, didn't we give you money for something, or something like that this, this summer? I was crushed. I was like, well, thank you for the prayer support. That wasn't happening. And so at that point, I decided, look, if, if that's God's design for the local church, I just don't want anything of it. And I was living in Colorado, and there's ski slopes there. And so I decided that I would, would experience God on the ski slopes instead of in church with his people. It was, it was a foolish decision. Well, well, praise God, I'm here this morning. Uh, uh, and, and thankfully... Uh, I had a, a friend who cared enough about me to say hard things, and his name was Paul, and Paul said, Brian, you know, you really shouldn't be leading Bible studies on your college campus if you don't even go to church. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And he had just moved there, and he said, well, I'm going to go to to this church up across the hill uh, from the college campus. I said, okay, well, I'll see you there this Sunday. And I had no idea what would be in store for me, but it was there at Bethel Baptist Church where where they got to know me, where they discipled me, where they, where they trained me in my faith. And I grew to, to love others, to serve others. Uh, I, I, what I found out was that, that growing in Christ is directly connected to me serving others within the church. And I grew in my love for the families of the church where I served by serving in their children's church at times and youth Sunday school and, and Bible studies with senior adults and, and sharing life together. And it was there that I started understanding that Christianity wasn't really so much of a Sunday morning only thing, but it was actually supposed to be something that affected every area of my life. Uh, it was supposed to affect how I dated and then eventually got married. It was supposed to influence my marriage. 
It was supposed to influence um, how I went to school and, and how I worked my job at my bank and how I built relationships with, with my neighbors and, and especially what I did throughout the week to those connected to the church with me. See, see what I'm talking about this morning is discipleship, helping one another love and live for Jesus. I've been at churches, I've been to so many different churches where they have, uh, where, where, where it's so much of only a Sunday morning only thing, where, where they didn't know me, I didn't know them, and, and, and it would be weird because, because you don't really know each other, you don't really know who's new and who's not. And so it's always kind of this fake smile that said, I'm not sure if I know you anyway, but I'm going to pretend like I do. Uh, in fact, uh, there is, <laughs> bless his heart, there is a gentleman uh, at, at the previous church where, where I was a pastor, and four years into it, uh, he comes up to me one Sunday after church and he says, so Brian, what brought you up here to Canada? What sort of work are you in? He, he was a member of the church. I've been there for four years. Literally. I've been to far too many churches visiting on a Sunday morning where no one says hi because they just assume that, that you're already connected there. But our Christianity is lived out in a context where we know more than just our children's names, but where we are sharing life and building into one another where we are sharing each other's struggles, where we are sharing each other's joys, where we are walking hand in hand together, pushing one another in the race of faith. And in truth, we need to be people who live this out, to live out deep discipleship. That's why, that's why deep discipleship is actually one of our core values. But this isn't simply Brian's idea this is something that we get from God's word as a characteristic of healthy, mature Christians. And, and therefore, this is a characteristic that God's word puts forward as healthy, mature Christianity. Where we are building into one another. In fact, that's exactly why we have in our mission statement, which is on the, on the front of your bulletins, it says, to proclaim Jesus, the hope of glory, for gospel transformation of lives and our community. Because it's not just about hearing something and then going off and living the rest of our week however we want. It's actually about being transformed by the love of God himself. And so what we want to do here at Friendship Baptist Church is as you've been seeing in this series of, of what are our core values, we, we want faithful preaching. We, we want passionate worship. And then from those things should also flow deep discipleship. And so to help us understand why deep discipleship is one of our core values, uh, we're going to go to Matthew 28 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it. It's the very last thing in the book of Matthew. So if you get to the book of Mark, just go a couple pages earlier. It's the very last section of the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Is the screen on? Okay, because that one's not on, so I have no idea what's going on there. Um, that's okay. I just need to know when I need to press the button, because I might get confused. I usually do. Um, let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we will jump in this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, uh, that, that, you, that, that the sermon that everyone hears is better than what's even in my notes. Lord, that your spirit would, would help us to understand what you would have us to do and how we should live and, and that your word would be the source from how we, we get that. God, would you help us uh, to understand the importance of discipleship in our lives? And Lord, Lord, would you use Matthew 28 to do that this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So if you've never read through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, let me just give you a quick overview of what's happening here. Matthew 28 is really the, uh, the end of the book of Matthew, uh, the first book of the New Testament. Jesus had come down to earth as human, he grew up, he started his ministry, he performed miracles, he taught about the kingdom of God, and then he willingly went and hung on a cross, taking death upon himself, dying in place of people who rebelled against him, against people who had hated him, who had mocked him, and who had doubted him, and yet Jesus died for sinners like you and me. But what is so surprising is that... Uh, in this account of Jesus's life, as we'll find out in every single account of Jesus's life here, is that Jesus didn't stay dead. That three days later, after his death, the stone that had closed up Jesus's grave was rolled away, and Jesus was in the flesh, risen from the dead. That had just happened previously uh, in Matthew 28. And so Jesus is with his 11 disciples. He's on a mountaintop. They are worshiping Jesus. Uh, and, and some people are a little bit of afraid of what's going on. And so in this setting, Jesus is giving his, his final teaching before he leaves and ascends up into heaven. Uh, and, and I'll give you this big idea now so that as we are looking at it, as we are studying it together, you, you can see where this comes right from our text. Here's what I think Matthew is trying to get across to us in, in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Here's what I think it is. That if we don't remember anything else uh, about the sermon, this is what we want to remember. Deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. That is, that is what I think uh, Matthew is trying to get across to us is that deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. And so what we want to do is we want to see where that is in the text and kind of break that out a little bit. So let me start in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this morning we want to break this text down kind of into four sections of how I think it would be helpful for us to understand deep discipleship. And the first thing that we see this morning is that discipleship begins with Jesus. 
That's what we see right there in, in verse 18, that before Jesus commands them of anything, before he directs his disciples, he first affirms his disciples. And what he affirms to them makes all the difference in the world. Jesus is telling them that everything that we could possibly think that, that, uh, that we could ever dream up is under his leadership and under his authority. Everything on earth and everything in heaven is under the sovereign king, Jesus. That's a pretty big thing. So sometimes, if you think, if you have children, especially younger children, children like to talk a big game, don't they? And then we laugh because they have no real power or influence. Uh, Anyone can talk big, but it's the difference between talking big and living big with authority. So a child might say, well, I'm not going to eat any vegetables tonight. And what happens? They end up eating vegetables because the parents are bigger than they are. That's kind of how it works. But Jesus is not just giving big talk. Jesus has just defeated death. He just rose from the dead as he predicted multiple times. Now, being exposed to that truth of Jesus demands a call on the lives of those who bear that truth. When people recognize that Jesus rose from the dead and they have put their hope in him, it changes and transforms lives. So Jesus is saying, he he says, look, whatever I'm about to tell you, I promise it will be okay. Because I've defeated death so that you can do this. It gives us hope that this pursuit of ours of deep discipleship, it's not random. It isn't made up, but it actually has the backing of the resurrected Christ with it. Discipleship begins with the truth and comfort and power of Jesus. Of all the things that we can say about discipleship, about helping one another love Jesus more and live for Jesus better. Of all the things that we can say about discipleship, we can say that it begins with Jesus. There is no disciple making without Jesus at the center of it. There is no disciple making if we simply teach moralism apart from the authority of Jesus rising from the dead. Discipleship is important to the Christian life. And so as we emphasize that here at at Friendship Baptist Church, this is not Brian trying to make his own disciples. Uh, This is not Austin trying to make people look, talk, and act just like him. We do not need that. Uh, This is us pointing you to Jesus to help you live for him and love him more. But discipleship doesn't have to be intimidating. Like so often we hear that and we think, oh my goodness. What's going on? No, it doesn't have to intimidate us when it has the backing of Jesus behind it. It does mean that discipleship isn't just a man-made idea, but it is a God-given directive for Christians. And we know that when it is a priority for God, it's not a waste of time, but it's extremely important for how we as a church body function and how we as individual Christians function. And it all begins with Jesus. Deep discipleship 
is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. Let's look at at the, the next part of this. Let's look at how discipleship is deep. There's no room here for academic, theoretical knowledge to pass along. That, that's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is so much deeper than that. Notice how in, in verse 19, you know, we see a therefore that's connected to the previous verse in verse 18. That, that what happens in verse 19, the going and making disciples of all nations is a response of knowing the authority of Jesus. Jesus has already commanded, and because they are trusting in Jesus' authority, they want to live faithfully to the call on their lives for all who would follow Jesus. So this isn't simply the work of just sharing a testimony or, or this um, easy social pressure believism of the community. No, this is discipleship that Jesus calls us to that is so deep that it changes what our goals in life are. It changes our affections. It changes our priorities. And it changes our entire lives. Look at what's involved in this deep discipleship of verse 19. We're to go to all the nations, including the one that we live in. We're called to make disciples. We're called for these disciples to get baptized as a high priority for those who follow Jesus. We're called to teach them everything and to live in every way all for Jesus. So usually when we read this passage in English, uh, we, we think that the emphasis is on the word go, because that's usually like the first word that we see in verse 19, which sounds great for missions to Asia, but not for us, for a lot of us who kind of just stay behind. But really, the, the emphasis of what's actually going on here is, is not on the go. The emphasis on this verse is actually on the make when you, when you read it in Greek. And so it's more like, as you go, make disciples. As you're going through life, make disciples. And so that means that this verse is so much more than just those who are going to Asia to complete this commandment. It includes going to the nations, but it also includes everyone here who hasn't gone to Asia or to Africa or to Australia or to South America. So no matter whether you are a lawyer or a teacher or a professor or a construction worker or a stay-at-home mom or a librarian or anything else, Jesus' call is for us to make disciples. Discipleship is deep. It's, it's not a Sunday morning only Christianity. Jesus wasn't boring, and neither is discipleship. Discipleship is life transformation for both those who are discipling and for those who are being discipled. And so if you are just kind of sick of where you are in your life, and you desperately want God to come in and transform your thinking and transform your priorities and your affections to the things that God loves, to, to the expanse of God's kingdom, well, that's exactly what deep discipleship is all about. If you want to see how life sold out for Jesus is so much better than 
Sunday morning Christianity. Well, that's where deep discipleship is at. But do you also see why deep discipleship is a lifelong pursuit? Teaching one another to observe all that Jesus has commanded has to be a lifelong pursuit. You can't simply say after three months, well, I tried it, it just kind of wasn't my thing. If you've ever wondered how to grow as a Christian or, or how, do I, how do we begin as a church to have a deep influence on our community? Well, it actually begins right here with the relationships that we have, with one another, with how deeply committed we are toward one another in our discipleship with Jesus. Our discipleship needs to be deep. We need to follow Jesus' deep discipleship and we need to help each other because meaningful discipleship really is deep discipleship. It can't happen by ourselves. And so this call to make disciples by Jesus must include other Christians in real, meaningful ways of our lives. See, too often, I, I think I'm worried that we see Christianity as a, as a me and Jesus thing, like I did when I was in college. And then we see everyone else as extra or as in the way or keeping us back or optional when we feel like it. But it isn't. When we consider that we are saved to a community, to God's people, not to isolation. I'm worried that we as a Western world Christian community see discipleship as something that super Christians do, not what regular faithful Christians do. And I'm worried that we as a Western world Christian community see that serving others is something that someone else will do or, or doing specific spiritual good for others is, is something that someone else in the church will just eventually do. So questions that we need to be asking ourselves is, are you willing to do the hard but essential work of deep discipleship? Are you willing to commit real time for the good of one another and for the expanse of the gospel? Are you involved in personally making disciples, first by bringing them to Christ and then by teaching them? What steps will you take today to begin to develop disciple makers in our church? If you're not really involved on a personal level of, of fulfilling Jesus' command here, will you ask God to help you start making disciples? What priorities do you need to change to make disciple making a major part of what you do as a Christian? If you don't feel comfortable starting a discipleship group, will you commit to looking for ways to be equipped so that you can do deep discipleship? See, deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. But that's not all it is. Let's keep continuing on and let's look at how discipleship is a call for disciples of Jesus. Uh, making disciples is done, if you look at our text, 
Jesus is speaking to who? To his disciples. So, so making disciples is done by those who are already disciples and are already resting in Jesus' authority and living, living trustingly in it. And I get, I get how confusing we use Christian terms all the time. Uh, just think of how confusing the idea of being a Christian is. Here are just some of the terms that you can use interchangeably for Christian. You could do Christian, brother, saint, believer, follower of the way, friend, Nazarene, Christ follower, friends of God, disciple. Uh, All those terms, they, they cloud what we're trying to do here, don't they? Are those words really the same? I don't want to look at all of them. I only want to look at two of the words, Christian and disciple. Can you be a Christian without being a disciple? Are they the same thing? As for the word Christian, which just means belonging to Christ, it never even appears in the Gospels. It doesn't appear until the book of Acts, in Acts 11. And then here's what it says. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. See, there is no second class Christians in God's family. To to separate disciple from Christian places an emphasis on what the believer is doing instead of upon Christ and what was done at the cross. And so our goal for us to think through Christianity rightly is if Christian is not synonymous with disciple, we need to make them synonymous. So if we think of the word Christian, we need to also be thinking of the word disciple. And so when I say the word Christian, I am also thinking the word disciple and and vice versa. When I'm also saying the word disciple, I'm also thinking the word Christian. And what do we see? We see that disciples are called by Jesus to make disciples. The regular call of Christians is to work toward making and growing other disciples. Disciples are those who work as laborers for the gospel for more disciples. Disciples are are others who are doing deliberate spiritual good to help others follow Christ. Have you guys ever asked asked yourselves, what, what are the essentials of the Christian life? Certainly, we would say knowing God's word, praying, and hopefully we would say gathering with other Christians to sing the Bible, to, to pray the Bible, to preach the Bible, to, to see the Bible through the ordinances. But I wonder if making disciples would make even the top five list. We can be sure that when Jesus calls his followers to go and make disciples, right after he has assured them of his ultimate authority, that means it needs to be on our top five list. Discipleship is important because growing as a Christian should not be abnormal, but the evidence of what is 
normal. One of the most valuable uses of our time is personally discipling others. Growing as a Christian, it, it, it's not what super Christians do. It's actually what real Christians do. Growth shows life. Christian growth comes from discipleship that begins with Jesus. It is centered on Jesus. It is empowered by Jesus. What an awesome responsibility that Jesus himself gives to those who follow him. It's not only pastors who make disciples. It is all disciples of Jesus who make disciples. Deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. Well, let's, let's look at the, the final part of our text this morning, at how discipleship ends with Jesus. So Jesus begins, begins his talk by saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He begins this whole thing of making disciples by saying, here's where my authority is. And then he ends this text with an absolute promise of his ongoing presence in our lives while we make disciples. Well, this means that making disciples of the nations is a work that Jesus himself is doing through the body of Christ, through his church. And so when we make disciples, we are doing it by the strength, by the presence, and by the power of Jesus. That means that this is not an exercise for really super Christians. It is, again, a call for every Christian to live out. So the question becomes, well, how do you begin a discipleship relationship? Right? That, that's where the rubber meets the road. At some point you say, that's nice, Brian, but what does this mean? What do I do? Well, you, you've said some big things, but what does it look like in my life? Well, let me encourage you in two ways. In two ways, I think we want to start having discipleship relationships take place within our lives within this church. First way, later this year, later in the upcoming months, we're going to be talking about life groups that will be coming up and what our goals will be to, to meet with one another, doing specific good in the spiritual lives of one another, where we are praying for one another, praying for the needs of the church, sharing life together. This is going to fuel our discipleship with one another and help us connect as a church in, in life-changing, meaningful ways with one another. So, so the first way to, to begin to think through how do I begin a discipleship relationship? Well, let me encourage you that when we are uh, bringing up life groups, make that a priority. Don't, don't let it be like where 30% of the people are signed up for this. Make this be something where 85 or 90% of us are signed up for life groups together. The other way that I would recommend is with one-on-one -on -one discipleship, with a focus that still begins with Jesus, that is centered on Jesus and continues with Jesus. Because it's interesting, the emphasis of this disciple-making is to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Well, that means that we need to know God's word. It means that we need to know what it means to live it out. 
And so, so our discipleship should primarily be focused on how do we get to know God better and apply that in our lives. It also includes uh, uh, replicating what we do here at Friendship Baptist Church. And so if you are the only person who knows how to set up the Lord's Supper when we take it, boy, what a great cue for you to say, boy, I need to bring someone along to train them. Because if what we do here within the church is serving one another, loving one another, building one another up, well, then that means that these are great things that we can be training one another to do to continue to build one another up. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, let me encourage you, find someone who isn't already a great Sunday school teacher and train them up to become a great Sunday school teacher. If you serve with children's church, well, let me encourage you, find someone else that you can bring along that says, let me train you into how to do children's church well. Or if you serve with Awana and you're really great at serving with Awana, what a perfect opportunity for you to say, I want to help raise someone else up so that they can also one day take my place. Wouldn't it be great if we had 80 people who we could say, yeah, all these people are awesome Sunday school teachers. What a tough problem to have at that point, wouldn't it be? What a great thing that that could be. Well, friends, that, that, that happens as a result of discipleship. And so find someone who, who wants to follow Jesus and serve this body as a reflection of serving and obeying Jesus. And that's who we want to cling on to. That's, that's how we begin to start discipleship relationships. We want to encourage people to love Jesus so much that we want to serve him by serving others. And be willing to, to let them lead us in how to serve the church in great ways. So I thought I would uh, recommend, if you have someone in mind where you're like, yeah, I know exactly who I want to get together with and, and start even a, a, an iron sharpening iron type relationship where, where you are thinking about how, how God's word af- affects and applies to our lives. Well, I want to recommend some books for you guys to start thinking through. And I'll even go as far as this way. If, if people come up to me and say, hey, Brian, uh, we want to we start some of these one-on-one kind of discipleship relationships, I'll buy one of the books of every single group that wants to do this, okay? So if there's two people, I'll, I'll pay for half of the books. Uh, here are the books I want to recommend. Uh, not, these are not the only ones. Certainly there are more, uh, but these are, this is a way to say, hey, we have a lot of things that we can start doing. Um, right now, as a staff, we are reading through God's big picture together, and uh, it's, it fuels great conversation. If you want to know what this book is about, talk to Dave. That's right. Talk to Austin. Uh, they didn't know I was going to tell them to do this. Um, another great book is called The Cross-Centered Life. What does it look like for the cross of Christ to be the center of what we do? It's by, by a guy named C.J. Mahaney. Uh, C.J. Mahaney also wrote this book called Humility, The Sign of True Greatness. What a great book to say, hey, what does it even look like to be humble? And am I it? Uh, that's a great resource. Um, also, a book by, by my friend Mark Dever called Discipling. If you want to know what discipling really is all about, this is a great short read that you can, you can attach onto pretty easily. I've, I've already made Austin read it. You guys can talk to him about whether he recommends it or not. Um, 
uh, a guy who, who has a, a little series of books that are so clarifying and helping about what Christianity is. A guy named Greg Gilbert wrote a book called What is the Gospel? Really great book. These are small books. You guys see this? Small books make for great discipleship, okay? Um, uh, there are no pictures, uh, but the words aren't $5 words either. They're, they're, they're good words, uh, easy to understand. He also wrote another book called Who is Jesus, which is great. Are, are we even believing in the, in the Jesus that we, that we think we are? Are we believing in the Jesus of the Bible? This is a great uh, resource for you guys to use. And then finally, uh, a book that my wife has, has led uh, ladies through, uh, but it's not really just for ladies. Uh, it, it's a great book by a guy named Ed Welch called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. H- how do we do all these one another's in the New Testament? This is a great resource. Again, small, short. Um, and then I'll even give one more adage that I have three sets of books in my office where uh, if none of these pique your interest, and you say, Brian, we, we want something else. Well, I have three other sets of books that if, there are re- that if you guys decide among one another, say, hey, I want to start this discipleship relationship. Um, well, I have two of these books. I'll give them away to you guys to, to read. One of them is How to Know Christ in the Old Testament. One is called Gospel Deeps, How Reveling in Jesus Transforms Our Lives. And the other one is called Transforming Grace. Great resources for us to, to begin to think about what does it look like for God's word to apply into our lives and how we think. So what I want to recommend is, is both books that you can easily grab a hold on to, that don't take a lot of time to read, but that are used as a platform to have relationships with one another where we are training one another to be faithful disciples of Jesus. And then also I want to encourage you guys that if, that if you're serving in a specific area, who are you training to multiply yourself? Who are you training so that we can have many people who are great at that same task so that many hands lighten the work? Because deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. I mean, here, here's the reality. I was an elitist growing up. I was, the top, I was in the top school in my city. I was at the top of my sports teams. I was at the top of the classes of, from elementary school through high school. I was, I was the top musician in the state of Wyoming by the time I was a freshman in high school. And because I had high expectations for myself, it affected how I saw others. I saw others as expendable. Honestly, as people who I just felt like were getting in the way of what I was trying to do and what I was trying to accomplish. And it was in college at this church that was discipling me that I came to know that that was self-serving. It was a Brian-centered mindset and lifestyle. And it was the opposite of what Jesus calls his disciples to live out. In Brian's economy, cash was king. Power was king. Position was king. I was king. But in God's economy, the one that will last for eternity, that economy, what is precious to God are people. And what I came to find out is that God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. In God's economy, it's not about being held back from where you're trying to go. It is actually 
helping propel one another forward. It is building into one another until, the, until we have a unity of faith, until we have all grown into maturity into Christ. That, that's the language of, of Ephesians 4. That's the call on, on you and I who are disciples of Jesus. That's the call of, of what our priorities are to be, and that is to be others-minded. How can we build up one another? Because what we find out is that by doing so, our faith is strengthened as well. Deep discipleship is the call by Jesus for every faithful Christian. So let's do that work together. Let's pour into one another's lives because it's never a waste of time. It is never a misappropriation of effort. It is always living in God's economy that way. Let's spend 30 seconds uh, in reflection of God's word and then I will close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us not to have Jesus and me blinders on so that we miss the community that you have saved us to. God, help us to not be so focused on ourselves that we would see others as getting in our way of what we're trying to accomplish. God, help us to see that that expending ourselves for the good of one another, to help them fight sin and cling to your righteousness and to walk in love and in newness of life, the effort that we spend to, to, to take off our old selves and be renewed by your spirit and to put on our new creations in Christ, the, the effort spent to help one another do that, God, is never wasted. Help us not to see that as wasted time. Help us to see the value that you have on making disciples. God, help us to see that, that faithful disciples of you are, are people who love the things that you love. And so, Lord, help us to make discipleship a priority for our lives. As a reflection of our devotion and, and love for you, and as a way to love one another. And so, Lord, we pray that, that we would see your call on our lives that would transform and change all of us together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.